I want to invite you to open the word of God and turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. While you make your way to the book of Romans, I should say that if you ever have the opportunity to ask a question of a real estate agent, you should try it sometime. Ask what the very most important principle of real estate is, and you will likely receive this reply. Location, location, location. That's the most important thing. When it comes to our approach to Scripture in a similar manner, it is context, context, context that becomes vitally important. That is the reason that we want to pay close attention to our context as we move into the third chapter of the book of Romans. You will recall that Paul the Apostle said in Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the what? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the the righteousness, or the just rather, shall live by faith. He goes on to describe the reality that every unconverted creature faces. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so God gives them up. He gives them up in their lusts, the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they, cha- they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Romans 1, 24 and 25. He gives them up to dishonorable passions for the women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Romans 1, 26 and 27. In the very next verse, we learn that God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Then in chapter 2, Paul unpacks God's righteous judgment against sin. We learn this important principle that there will be retribution for the faithless and rewards for the faithful. We also learn in chapter 2 that apart from grace, every creature stands condemned before a holy God. And every creature will stand accountable to God on the final day. Last week we began to unpack some of this. And we learned that the Jews simply will not have it. After all, God chose the Jews to be the special objects of his favor. Deuteronomy 4.37 
And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power. Later in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we read these words. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. Little Israel. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever looked at a map? I I love globes. Do we have any globe lovers here? I love globes. I love maps. And then what does Google do? They come out with Google Earth. If you have never tried Google Earth, run home. Not right now. Run home after the service and type in Google Earth and type in a city and it zeroes in right in that city. And you, I mean, you can look at everything. It's amazing. But as you look at a map, look at Syria, look at Iraq, look at Iran, look at the, the continent of Africa, look at all these regions. And then I dare you to find Israel. This little speck on the map. And we learn here that God chose Israel. He chose Israel. It says, you are the fewest of all the peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. To a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates them. He will repay him to his face. In Deuteronomy 10:15, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. But in steps the apostle Paul, and he confronts them directly as they have this propensity as we have learned to To do as I have referred to as banking their chips on their family line. They bank their chips on their family line. They are paying much too much attention to Ancestry.com. And they have forgotten the big picture. He confronts, the Apostle Paul confronts their blatant hypocrisy. And with the battering ram of truth, he topples their last line of defense, what Lloyd-Jones referred to as the final bastion. I like that. And so last week we learned that their last line of defense, their final bastion, to quote Lloyd-Jones, is summarized as follows. We have been set apart by the right of circumcision. And since we have been circumcised, we are right with God Period. Paul's confrontation of the Jews spells out some important lessons that I believe the rest of us need to heed and to take note of. That apart from the gospel, we all stand guilty and condemned. 
That banking on our family tree. And we do that as well, do we not? We do it like the Jews do. The Jews bank on their father Abraham. We bank on our daddy. We bank on our good family name. And so banking on our heritage, our knowledge of scripture, our good works, these are all dead ends, Paul says. And then we learn this lesson that heart transformation begins and ends with God and God alone. That is the only thing that has the power to transform our sinful hearts is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I commended the men this morning in our class, Be Killing Sin, because as I shared with the men, and I think the same is true with the women, have you noticed that in churches you'll, you'll come to a class and everyone will sign up and everyone shows up? And then it goes, it does a tailspin. And at the end, there's a handful of people. Do you know that that didn't happen in Jereen's class? And it didn't happen in my class. And men and women kept coming and kept growing and kept digging in. One of the things that we're learning in the men's class is this lesson. That heart transformation begins and ends with God alone. If we are to kill sin... You see, it's not a matter of self-effort. If we were to kill sin, it's not a matter of finding the right psychologist or the right counselor. If we were to kill sin, it's not a matter of finding an accountability partner. Some of these things may have merit, but the only way we will kill sin is that if we bank all our hope and future exclusively on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. Well, these lessons that the Jews are learning, that we're learning together with them, these are unacceptable responses to the Jewish mindset. They simply could not stomach such a response. Paul's response to the Jews was an all-out frontal attack on their heritage, on their self-righteousness, and their self-assurance. And so what we find Paul doing as he begins Romans chapter 3, is he anticipates how these unbelieving Jews will respond to his challenges and to his admonition. And I might tell you this, that as I studied Romans chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, that we're going to break up into, into two parts, the first part today and the next part next week. I have to tell you that th- this was a difficult section of scripture there are some passages that you will study and and it's just it it goes from from a to z you go throughout the week and oh it's just what a what a blessing no trouble at all i got several hours into this passage i I am scratching my bald head going "I, i don't know what to do with this have you ever done that with a passage and then i run across a commentator And it was like God's little gift to me. And it basically said this, that Romans chapter 3 verses 1 to 8 is by far one of the most difficult passages to interpret. And I was like, I'm not as dumb as I thought I was. This is an exceedingly difficult passage. And so please be gracious with me as we walk through this together and learn the truth of God's word. Paul anticipates the response from the unbelieving Jews, and he will respond to their challenges. The title of the message 
is erroneous accusations. I want to have you stand to your feet as we read Romans chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. This is God's holy, authoritative, infallible, inerrant word. And as my friend Owen Strand recently said, uh, you either think God is inerrant or you're inerrant. That's really good. This is without error. Verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is here and will serve as our teacher. And despite the difficult nature of this passage, we, we realize, Lord, that this is indeed your word, that you communicate clearly to your people. Sometimes it requires more legwork and more digging and more research and more prayer. And so we ask that you would come. We humbly ask that you would help us to, to unravel this weighty section of Scripture, that we would see the Jewish objection and that we would see Paul's response and that we would be served as a result. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's a lot happening underneath the surface here. You can almost hear the accusations in Paul's accusers in verse 1. It says, then what advantage has the Jew? That's coming from the Jew. Or another question, what is the value of circumcision? You can almost sense a a cynicism, a a snideness, a, a sarcastic response. Paul, you have leveled some serious accusations and the reference here is made to the context at the end of Romans chapter 2 verses 25 to the end of the chapter the Jews essentially are saying this you have gone to great lengths to tell us that we along with the Gentiles are condemned and will stand accountable before God fine then we have a few questions for you What is the advantage then of being a Jew? What is the value of circumcision? We want answers and we want answers now. And so I want you to see the first of three erroneous accusations. We'll look at one accusation today and Lord willing, look at the next two accusations when we come back next week. These are accusations laid at the feet of the Apostle Paul by His Jewish audience. But more than the accusation. I want you to see Paul's 
response and pay careful attention to note what he says. Accusation number one. In verses one and two, the Jews are essentially saying this. Paul, you undermine the people of God. In your notes, you'll see, and also on the screen, a line that I've entitled, Probing Beneath the Surface. And there are some some questions that we need to wrestle with here that are found in verse 1 to begin with. The first question is, are you really teaching that Jews have no advantage over the Gentile? That is the way they heard his argument. In verse 1, that word advantage... It comes from a Greek word that means to have a superior position. Paul, are you really teaching that the Jews do not have a superior position over the Gentile? Are you really trying to insinuate that? Back in Romans 2.12, Paul said, And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Now think for a moment like a Jewish person. You can, you can detect why they would ask this kind of a question. If, if we're all guilty, both Jews and Gentiles, before a holy God, are you really teaching that the Jews now have no advantage over the Gentile? You make it sound as if Jews are in the same boat as the Gentiles. Like they have no advantage whatsoever. They essentially say this. Your teaching, Paul, militates against all that we hold to be precious and true. You sense a mild offense taken by Paul's Jewish audience. Question number two. Are you really teaching, verse 1 says, that circumcision has no value? Why would they insinuate this? In Romans 2.25, if you would look at this, in verse 26, Paul said, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. I would ask you this, did any of the Jews break the law? Well, of course they broke the law. And you could see why they would have... These thoughts, because your circumcision then becomes uncircumcision. uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Verse 28. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, Paul says, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so you can see as we probe beneath the surface why these Jewish objectors would say, you appear to be undermining the people of God. There's another one I don't believe is on the screen. I don't believe it's in your notes, but it's an important one. The Jews essentially say, are you going to keep peddling this notion that we as the Jewish people are condemned under the mighty wrath of God? Will you continue to peddle the notion that we stand under the wrath of God? If so, such a view appears to undermine the chosen people of God. Now, some of you probably are 
shaking your head on the inside and you're going, now I know why you found this so difficult. Or is anyone shaking their head going, this is, this is tough stuff. And these are tough objections for Paul to deal with. But I want you to see his response. Notice his response. And it's interesting. He says in verse 2, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, he does not utter the words I'm going to utter. But through the back door, here is Paul's response. He says to the Jews who are challenging him with undermining the people of God. He says, this is erroneous. This is erroneous. It's an erroneous assertion. I have a friend who every time I see him, he challenges me to put the word erroneous in a sermon. So I had a lot of fun with this sermon. (laughs) He loves the word erroneous because he knows I love the word erroneous. Paul says, this is an erroneous accusation. Why? The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. I hope you're with me here because Paul does not, again, utter these words. This is an erroneous assertion. But through the back door, he really does. Look again at verse 2. He says, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Pay close attention to that word entrusted. It means to be the recipient of... Or the receiver of something placed in their care. Now I wish I could do this object lesson. And actually carry it out. It would take far too much time. So you'll, you'll get the gist. But it would be like if I took my keys. And I were to, to bring my keys down to one of the young people. And I would say I, I entrust you with my vehicle and you can use my vehicle for one week but i want you to bring that vehicle back and i want it to have a full tank of gas and i want it to be vacuumed and i want it to be washed and i want you to to take care of my car i entrust you with the keys to my car that's probably not that big of a deal because my car is not that big of a deal but something else entered my mind and uh Jerry Toon popped into my mind. Is Jerry here or are you in the prayer room? I think he's in the prayer room. Is uh, Jerry loves cars. And I got to thinking about Mustangs, right? Imagine now that I owned a 1966 cherry red Mustang. Now I'm going to take my keys and I'm going to come down to the young people. And I'm going to say, now I'm going to give you my keys to my cherry red Mustang that was produced in 1966. And I want you to take care of it. It's something that is immense value to me. I want you to take care of it. I want you to watch over it. I want you to guard it with your life. You're not going to go off-roading with this car. I don't want you to spill coffee on the seats. In fact, I don't want anyone to drink coffee in my 1966 cherry red Mustang. In fact, I don't want any food in my 1966 cherry red Mustang. In fact, I would prefer that you don't take your friends in my 1966 cherry red Mustang because they will probably bring food and spill all over the seats. And so I'm entrusting my car to you. 
Here's the point. Whether I entrust you with my little car or you're entrusted with my 1966 cherry red Mustang, you'll be expected to wash it, to keep it clean, and to treat it as if it were your own. You have been entrusted with this vehicle. The Jews were entrusted with something much more valuable than a 1966 cherry red Mustang. In fact, what they were entrusted with pales in comparison with a car. Notice verse 2. The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. That is why, even though Paul does not utter the words erroneous assertion, that's exactly what's on his mind. He essentially tells his Jewish objectors, his Jewish cross-examination folks, that you're out of your mind to think that I don't think the Jews have an advantage. The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, oracles is not a word that we use much in the English language. It comes from the same word that is translated as word, word. And so he's essentially telling them that they were entrusted with the word of God. They were entrusted with God's authoritative, infallible, inerrant word. Now, there's three other places where this term oracle appears. I want to show them to you. Hold your finger in Acts chapter, or in Romans chapter 3, and go to Acts 7, 38. Acts chapter 7, verse 38. And get, get ready to move through the pages of the New Testament. I want to show you a few verses. In Acts chapter 7, verse 38, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give us. Go over to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. You'll be very familiar with this text for though by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the what? The oracles of God. And then over in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 beginning in verse 10. Notice what, what Peter says. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves with the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever. You see, the Jews were charged with listening to the word of God. They were charged with learning the word of God. 
They were charged with memorizing the word of God, with guarding the word of God, with revering the word of God, with treasuring the word of God. It's as if God gave them the keys to the 1966 cherry red Mustang, but it wasn't a Mustang. It was his infallible, authoritative, inerrant word. They were entrusted, entrusted with the very oracles of God. And here's what struck me. They were entrusted with something that no one else was privy to. The Babylonians weren't entrusted with the word of God. The Hittites were not entrusted with the word of God. No, none of the other nations were entrusted with the word of God. The word of God tells us that all of these other people groups were in the dark. They were separated from Christ. They were alienated from God. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. They had no hope and they were without God in the world. Ephesians chapter 2. Lloyd-Jones is helpful here. He says he did not speak to the other nations. He spoke only to one nation that is Israel that he had made for himself as a peculiar treasure and possession for himself. As a peculiar treasure and possession for himself. He spoke to the nation of Israel as God spoke to a man. There is no higher privilege than that. And that is why there is thus much advantage in every way. And every conceivable prophet and being a Jew and belonging to this circumcised race. So back in Romans chapter 3 verse 1. The argument is God or, or, or Paul you are undermining the people of God. And Paul says as he shakes his head. Nothing could be further from the truth. As we consider how the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, please remember this important lesson. And this is a lesson that just shot through my heart like a laser beam. It's the lesson that God has chosen to reveal himself through. This is amazing. Words. Isn't that something? God has chosen to reveal himself. The holy triune God has chosen to reveal himself through words. I'm sure he could have chosen another outlet. I'm sure he could have chosen another venue or resource. But he chose to reveal himself through words. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. God has revealed truth in words, It does not just mean that it's a thought or an idea. An oracle really means the statement itself, not merely the sentiment of exact words. So what Paul means here, and this is very important, is the word of God or works spoken by God. These words in the Bible reveal the living God. These were the words that were entrusted to only the Jews. Isn't that amazing? I, I'm blown away by that. None of the other people groups were privy to this word. And so I believe that Paul utterly topples the first accusation that he had undermined the people of God. He says nothing could be further from the truth. Instead of undermining the people of God. Paul reminds his accusers. That they were entrusted with a priceless treasure. That no other people group 
had received the written word of God, the oracles of God. They were blessed beyond measure. Drina and I watched really a, a wonderful movie a few days ago, or last, I can't remember, I'm getting old. But it was a, a story about a, a strained relationship between a mother and a daughter. And the, the mother decided just to do something nice for her foster daughter. And she put a little, like a note with a heart on it with a hairbrush. And she put it in the bathroom just as a, a little tiny special gift. And the girl started to brush her hair. And after she brushed a few times, she took that hairbrush And she threw it in the toilet. My friends, that is what the Jews did with the word of God. It was entrusted to them. And they threw this treasure in the toilet. Now move forward in redemptive history and technically move backward in your Bible. Because God has used his chosen people the Jews, to help light the path for the Gentiles. Look with me at Acts chapter 13. And this is a a turn of events that if you have not wrestled with this and studied this, is a, a very, very encouraging development. Keep in mind that the Gentiles had not yet been included in God's saving purposes. They were lost and without hope and without God. But what happens... In Acts chapter 13, and in my Bible, and I would encourage you to do the same, I have written the words, Jewish-Gentile shift. The Jewish-Gentile shift. And here's what happens. Verse 47 and 48 of Acts 13. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you, that is the Jews, a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Here is the strange irony. The same people who God used as a pathway to the Gentiles rejected the Messiah, and for the most part, to this day, still do. The same people that God used as a pathway to the Gentiles repudiated the oracles of God. They threw it in the toilet. Now, here's the amazing reality. Let's just, just for fun, if you're not on the same page, would you raise your hand if you're a Gentile? If you don't know if you're a Gentile, let me say it a different way. Raise your hand if you're not Jewish. All of us are raising our hand. I've had one individual come to me a few days ago and say, I have a little bit of Jewish blood in me. And I think he's the only one. And so we have a, 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 a sanctuary filled with Gentile people. Now, we as Gentiles have been invited to participate in the grand story of redemption. If we were not able to participate in the grand story of redemption, we would be unable to sing any of these songs that the worship team led us with. Those are great songs, by the way, Jason. Gospel-centered, Christ-centered. We have been invited into the grand story of redemption. Now we as Gentiles are recipients of the promises of the gospel. And this is something that I'm convinced we take for 
granted. Would you agree? Here for thousands of years, it's, it's the Jews, only the Jews. We're all on the outside looking in, right? Under the wrath of God. And now God uses his chosen people who repudiate the oracles of God to be a light to the Gentiles, a light to you and I. We have been entrusted with the very oracles of God. Later in the book of Romans, we learn this great truth in Romans 10, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We have been blessed with God's word that reveals God's holy character, that reveals his plans for the nations and unfolds the hope of heaven in the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to send you from this place today with some strong encouragement as we have learned that we as Gentiles have been entrusted with the oracles of God. I want to leave you with four lessons that I pray will will mark your life and will transform the way that you think. Lesson number one. Remember, foundationally, that we have been entrusted with the oracles of God. Is there one amen? Wow! Can you believe it? That we have been entrusted with 66 books that reveal the holy character of God and unfold his salvific plans for the nations. You see, when you read the word of God, God speaks to you. It is a person-to-person encounter every time you open your Bible, every time you turn on your phone, every time you log into your Logos account, every time you turn on your iPad, every time you crank up your Kindle, you read the Word of God as a person-to-person encounter. One of my heroes, Francis Schaeffer, used to love the phrase, Propositional revelation. Oh, I love that phrase. Propositional revelation. That is, God sets forth his truth in propositions. I mentioned this earlier, that God communicates to us via words. Schaefer says, the chief cause of our troubles in the postmodern world is that we have turned away from the propositional revelation of God. He continues, death in the city will be increasingly all-consuming unless there is true reformation in the church and culture upon the foundation of God and his revelation. Having turning from the one who can fulfill, the one who can give comfort, having turned away from his love, his propositional revelation, there will be death in the city. The last time Doreen and I went to Vancouver, B.C., I may have shared this in recent weeks. We were getting ready to depart out of the city and for, help me, Doreen, at least three miles, maybe four miles on both sides of the streets. I saw, and I don't want to be vulgar here, but I'm just going to tell you what we saw. Garbage, beat up tents, feces, needles, Harlots, drug dealers, stacked as high as you could see for three or four miles. What Schaefer says here, we need to pay attention to, that when we ignore propositional revelation, there will be death in the city. And we could see it, and we could hear it, and we could smell it. 
This is what happens when a culture turns away from God's propositional revelation. And so remember that we have been entrusted with the oracles of God. Number two, remember, and this this one's going to hurt. Remember the importance of reading. Ouch. So I know there's this thing at Christ Fellowship. Pastor Dave loves to read. Pastor Dave loves to read. Pastor Dave loves books. He loves theology. Have you heard that he likes to read? Some of you don't know the full story. And for some reason, I'm looking at Jason and Darlene and Samantha. I don't think you've ever heard the story. So you're going to love this. Um, Randy, Stephanie, Dane. I don't think you've heard this story either. There are many of you that probably haven't heard the story. So I'm 19 years of age. Not today. I used to be. When I was 19... After my first year of college, I became the youth pastor at the church that I was raised in. And one of my responsibilities was to teach Sunday school. And just to put it frankly, I love to hang out with students. I love to take them bowling. I love to take them to Mariner games. I love to just go chew the fat and shoot, shoot basketball and, and, and just hang out with students. That was my ministry. And when it came to the study of God's word... Well, that came at the end, right? And and like it happened yesterday, I remember it was Saturday evening just prior to midnight. I'm sitting in my room, and I had my Bible open and my curriculum book open, and my dad came into the room, and he said, Son, it's about midnight. What, What you got going on? I said, Oh, I'm getting ready for Sunday school. And he said something that stung and ticked me off. I'll never forget it. He said, son, I need to tell you something. If you have any plans of being in full-time vocational ministry, if you have any plans of ever serving the Lord in this capacity, you better develop a thirst and a hunger for studying Ouch. I just like to hang out with kids. I was their pastor. And it was literally within days. I remember I made my first order. It was called CBD. I don't call it that anymore. (laughs) Right? This is in the late 80s. Christian book distributors. I made my first order. I'll never forget. I ordered a book called Grace Awakening by Charles Swindoll. I was so proud of myself. I ordered a book. And better than that. I actually read it. That was a miracle for me, right? So in those days, for me to read one book in a year was a miracle. These days, to read 175 books in a year is just part of my job. So what happened? My dad got under my skin. He goaded me. He pressed me in the corner. He said, son, if you ever desire to be in full-time ministry, it's time that you develop a thirst for study. And well, guess what? It happened. It happened. And I trust that it happens with you as well. Remember the importance of reading. The oracles of God are made up of words. Words are meant to be, someone help me, read. 
Words are meant to be read. Words tell us about the character of God. Words tell us about the the sinful condition of mankind. Words tell us the story of Jesus. Words tell us the good news. And so, as your pastor, I say this, almost like I'm goading you like my dad goaded me, is we need to make reading a priority. And it starts first and foremost with the word of God. But it even goes beyond the word of God to reading good Christian literature. There is so many good Christian books out these days. There's also a lot of junk. And so may God give us discernment. Doreen and I were at a coffee shop a few days ago and we looked over and someone was reading Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. I wanted to go over and throw it in the garbage can. Right? We need to select good Christian literature and have our noses in the word of God. So we make reading the word of God a priority. Number three, remember the importance of allegiance to God's word. Again, the Jews had turned away from the oracles of God. Francis Schaeffer said in the late 60s, whenever the church of Jesus Christ turns away from the living God and his propositional truth, she is playing the harlot. Did he actually say that? Whenever the church of Jesus Christ turns away from the living God and his propositional truth, she is playing the harlot. And I fear that many churches in our culture are playing the harlot because we no longer attach a high importance to the allegiance of the word of God. Number four. And finally, remember the crucial responsibilities for those who have been entrusted with the oracles of God. Now it's not just the Jews who have been trusted with the oracles of God. It's it's you and I. It's every man and woman and boy or girl who's in Christ. And so there are several things I want to challenge you with as we remember the crucial responsibilities for those who have been entrusted with the oracles of God. Number one, read it as we've already said. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found And I ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name. O Lord God of hosts. Let me encourage you. That is very small, isn't it? It actually says read. I promise read. (laughs) You're like, what does it say? I said, it says read, (laughs) read the word of God. Find a Bible reading plan that works for you. Now, so there's no confusion for some of you. That might mean that. Year after year after year, you just go from Genesis to Revelation. Every year, you go from Genesis to Revelation. Others of you might like the chronological approach. And there are chronological Bibles where you can go from start to finish, starting in the book of Job. Others of you are doing it way different. I think of Jordan Balvance and and Aaron Holder and some of the guys in the reading group. They have committed to reading the whole book of Romans once a week, every week, until we get to the end of this series. Yeah, that, that is to say, some of these guys are going to be on the rest home reading Romans. I'm sure of it. <laughs> what an amazing thought. And so find a, a reading plan that works for you. Not only read the word of God, but meditate on the word of God. I promise it says meditate. The psalmist says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your way. When Jerrine and I lived in LaGrande, we used to go to a, I probably shouldn't tell him this, a casino. 
for all-you-can-eat seafood. That won't get on their CD, right? Yeah, Chris is turning it up. So we found this casino that had all-you-can-eat seafood. And I, I just wish you could... I'm going to get in trouble for this one. I wish you could have seen Jereen. The crab. I mean, she's just... And I, I, I like crab. But it, if there are clams in the nearby vicinity... I mean, you think Jereen's bad? You should have seen me. I mean, it's just... Right? We, we would just eat this stuff up and we would say all along with stuff coming out we got to get our money's worth got to get our money's worth right <laughs> it's just embarrassing <laughs> you walk through the casino and it smells like smoke and people are like no it smells like smoke you guys are a mess you got stuff coming out of your mouth and all the rest well we were excited to eat this seafood may the same hold true for you and i as we open the word of god We read the word of God. We meditate on the word of God. We study the word of God. Paul says in 2 Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I almost didn't give you the fourth one because it's the one I struggle with the most as someone who is older. Memorize the word of God. There is a day I could memorize scripture like like eating pancakes anymore. Oh man, I can't remember what I had for breakfast. So young people, while your mind is still young and fresh, memorize the word of God. I still have scripture memorized when I was eight or nine years old. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. King James, no less. Psalm 100, verse 1. But it's much more difficult now for me to memorize. We also delight in the word of God. The psalmist says, behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. That is, we anticipate an encounter with God in his word. And then finally, may I encourage you to heed the word of God. The psalmist says, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. I keep your law continually forever and ever. I will walk about in a wide place for I have sought out your precepts. And so Paul, we learn had not, in fact, undermined the people of God. Rather, he upholds the Jewish people, and he holds them accountable for their shoddy handling of the oracles of God. And in turn, he admonishes you and I, and may we hold the word of God high in our lives. May we remember that we have been entrusted with God's authoritative, infallible inerrant word and may god bless christ fellowship as we stand together in these dark days let's pray together father thank you for this passage thanks for helping us to understand it just a little bit better lord i pray that we would uh, be good stewards of the oracles of the word of god lord it even preaching this message i am just floored to think that Those of us who are non-Jews have been entrusted with the oracles of your word. May we read it. May we meditate upon it. May we study it. May we memorize it. May we obey it. Taste and see if the Lord is good. When your words came, Jeremiah says, I ate them. May we have that person-to-person encounter with you every time we open the word of God. Now bless this, your people. I pray in Jesus' name.